Hello, welcome to the Capsticks podcast series in relation to the first draft of the Procurement Bill. The aim of this podcast series is to highlight key points and changes within the Procurement Bill that contracting authorities and bidders will need to be aware of. The legislation is still in draft form and so it may change before it comes into force. This podcast was recorded in June 2022 and we will run another podcast series for the final bill once this is published by the government. We know that the government will give contracting authorities six months to prepare for the new procurement legislation to come into force, so there will be plenty of time for contracting authorities and bidders to familiarise themselves with the new legislation. I'm Katrina Day, a legal director at Capsticks, and I'm joined today by Jennifer Galligan, an associate. Here, we will be discussing frameworks and dynamic markets under the Procurement Bill. So Jennifer, starting with frameworks, are there any significant changes that contracting authorities should be aware of? Hi Kat, and welcome to everyone who's listening. The most significant change in relation to frameworks is the introduction of the new Open Framework, These frameworks will be open to new suppliers joining. These were referred to in the green paper, so this won't be a surprise, but now we have a bit more detail on how this works. Open frameworks are described as multiple frameworks under a scheme. This will be a series of frameworks which are substantially the same. So rather than this being one long open framework, there will be a series of frameworks with each framework replacing the previous one. Overall, this series of frameworks must have a maximum duration of eight years. This is double the length of the normal closed frameworks. There does have to be at least two suppliers on the framework, however. Otherwise, the maximum length reverts back to four years instead of eight. So how will it work when suppliers want to join the framework? Is this like the dynamic purchasing system we have at the moment under the Public Contracts Regulations or PCR? No, it is a little different to dynamic purchasing systems. Although new suppliers can join the open framework, they can only do this at specific points when the framework is reopened. So for the first framework in the series, this must happen in the first three years. And then after this, it must be once in every five years, but also keeping in mind the maximum eight year term. And this is the minimum frequency for reopening a framework. Is that right? Yes, that's right, Kat. Contracting authorities could choose to do this more frequently, for example, every year if they wanted to. This sounds like good news for suppliers, as opportunities under a framework won't always be closed off to them once the framework is in place. That's if contracting authorities decide to set this up as an open framework. For contracting authorities, this also has the advantage that they can test the market again if they want to. But I think contracting authorities will need to be alert to these minimum requirements about opening up the framework. For example, they won't be able to say the framework is open, but then just let this run like a normal closed framework, as it must be opened at least once in that first three year period. So contracting authorities will need to plan this carefully up front and decide if they really want to go through the process of reopening the framework. So Jen, if I'm a supplier appointed to an open framework, what does this mean for me? Can I lose my place on the framework? 
So this will depend on how the contract and authority sets this up. If there is an unlimited number of suppliers on the framework, then the contract and authority has the option of simply readmitting the supplier to the open framework, so they effectively just keep their place. But the contract and authority could also determine whether the supplier keeps its place using their original tender or a new tender. So in theory, the supplier could lose its place on the framework here. If the open framework has a limited number of suppliers, then the supplier cannot just keep their place on the framework. They will have to win a place either based on their original tender or a new tender. So again, they could lose their place when the framework is reopened. Thanks, Jen. I think it will be interesting to see how this develops. And I hope that there will be guidance on open frameworks because the bill does not really provide much detail about how tenders are to be evaluated and how call-offs will work. I do think flexibility to open frameworks is generally welcomed by both contracting authorities and bidders, but this could mean more work for both. And for those suppliers who have won a place on a framework, it may mean they have to continually submit new tenders to keep that place. This will, of course, help to ensure value for money and testing of the market, but it may mean that open frameworks are simply more work for everyone involved. Jen, just to clarify, this open framework is a new tool for contracting authorities, but they don't have to use this, do they? The framework agreement as we currently know it will still exist, is that right? Yes, that's right. These are called frameworks rather than framework agreements under the bill and contracting authorities will still be able to set these up as they do under the current Public Contracts Regulations 2015 or PCR. Under the bill, there is still a maximum term of four years for these closed frameworks, unless there is a reason for a longer term. This will need to be detailed in the tender notice or transparency notice. Thanks, Jen. You mentioned notices there, and I think this will be an area of interest to procurement practitioners. Could you run through the notices that will be required under the bill when you're setting up a framework? Yes, yeah, so for the award of the framework itself, contracts and authorities will now need to publish a tender notice to launch the process. Then when it comes to awards, they will need to provide an assessment summary to each supplier. So this is in place of the current decision notices or standstill letters as they're often called. A contract award notice must then be published before award. This will then trigger the standstill period. A contract details notice is then to be published after award and if the framework has a value over two million, the framework itself will also need to be published. So it looks like these notices will apply when the framework is reopened too, as this is a new framework award at this point. Thanks, Jen. That's quite a change to the procedural aspects and episode one of this podcast series goes through this in more detail and our recap note lists all these new notices. So that will be helpful for those practitioners who are trying to get their heads around these new notices that are required. What I found interesting is that these notices are all likely to be needed not just for framework award, but also each time an above threshold contract is awarded under the framework. The only difference will be that the standstill period will not be mandatory here. This heightened transparency for call-offs 
will be burdensome, but it is in line with the green paper. There has been some discussion as to whether this should also include below threshold call-offs, which don't look to be currently included. This would further increase the burden for practitioners, but not including below threshold contracts does run contrary to the intention of increased transparency around framework use. So, Jen, we talked earlier about Dynamic Purchasing Systems, or DPS, which operate currently under the PCR as a sort of open framework. I noticed that under the Procurement Bill, the name has changed and this now refers to a dynamic market. Does this look just like a DPS with a new name? Yes, it certainly is very similar, Kat. A dynamic market is a way to award contracts and just like the DPS, there can be no limit to the number of suppliers admitted to the dynamic market and suppliers can join at any time. A lot of the details seems to have been removed now though. For example, there are no timescales about dealing with applications to join or tenders anymore. Do you think that this is helpful, Kat? Well, it definitely increases flexibility, which was one of the aims of the procurement bill. But the flip side of this is that there is less certainty for contracting authorities and bidders. It looks like the timescales for standard tendering will apply here. And I think that could create some difficulties for those contracting authorities that use a DPS for very quick ordering systems. As the ability for contracting authorities to agree shorter timescales seems to have fallen away in a dynamic market. That perhaps reflects that there's no longer a reference to the dynamic market being for commonly used purchases and the idea that dynamic markets might therefore be used for more complex procurements where longer timescales might be needed. Is there anything else of note on dynamic markets, Jen? Yes, so there is clarification now that contracting authorities can charge fees to suppliers. These must be a fixed percentage of the value of the awarded contracts. The same applies to frameworks, but not to open frameworks. This is welcome clarity here for dynamic markets, but it is unclear why it doesn't apply to open frameworks. Thanks, Jen. So I just want to pick up on notices again. For dynamic markets, what notices will contracting authorities need to publish? Well, firstly, a dynamic market notice must be published to set up a dynamic market. Notices also have to be published confirming that the dynamic market has been established, if it's modified or when it ceases to operate. As we discussed earlier, it also looks like notices will need to be in relation to above threshold contracts, um, which are entered into under the dynamic market. The ability to group these, as is currently the case for dynamic purchasing systems, seems to have been lost under the bill. Thanks, Jen. Well, all in all, I think there is some useful new flexibility in the bill on this area. But the promised guidance will, I feel, be crucial to understand this in more detail. In places, the procurement bill only really skims the surface about how frameworks, open frameworks and dynamic markets will work, just setting out broad parameters. Whilst this gives the promised flexibility, it also does leave a lot of unanswered questions. And I think both contracting authorities and bidders will want more clarity about the way frameworks will operate, particularly about award of contracts and the tendering process when you reopen one of the open frameworks. 
So that was our summary of the procurement bill in relation to frameworks and dynamic markets. A recap document that summarises the podcast can be found on our website. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. Bye.